Namaste, welcome everyone to our uh, fortnightly author Q&A uh, hosted by Indic Book Club and Indic Academy. Today, uh, we have our chief curator, Abhinav Agarwal, a software professional and an IIM graduate uh, and a very satisfied author of Predators and Prey. Uh, I hope uh, it's visible the normal way. Yeah, so it's a very gripping novel. Uh, Best-selling author Ashwin Sanghi opines that it's interesting and intriguing. Make no mistake, the predator is Abhinav Agrawal and the reader is the prey. A gripping and engrossing thriller that cannot be put down until the last page, face Dr. Bibek Debroy, economist and author. So that uh, is the kind of... Uh, accolades that Predators and Prey, the very first book of Abhinav Agrawal uh, garnered. Uh, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's even available on Kindle Unlimited, right, uh, Abhinav? Correct. So, welcome, Abhinav. Thank you, Sai. It's a delight to be here. And, uh, you know, uh, after doing all of these uh, Indic Book Club Q&As, it feels uh, very awkward to be on the other side. And uh, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. All I can request is, you know, ask me easy questions. <laughs> so wait, we'll try to set the question paper within the syllabus. <laughs> yeah. So Abhina, uh, what, I mean, I know this is a very generic question, but uh, that is what picks the interest of many uh, aspiring writers out there. What made a software professional and, uh, you know, who's into management uh, turn to writing this kind of a thriller, which has spy tech, espionage, and this Mahabharata and philosophy uh, put in? Uh, see, before I was a software professional, before I did my MBA engineering, I was a reader. I, I, I think from the time I was uh, five, six, seven, I, I don't know how many years old, I always loved reading. And in English uh, literature, my, my interest was crime and mystery and thrillers. So, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle and Agatha Christie. And then as I grew up, uh, uh, you know, more than Alistair McLean and Frederick Forsyth and Robert Ludlum. And then over the last, you know, 10 years or so, it's been... Uh, uh, you know Dan Brown and uh, and and Lee Child and you know these kinds of so thrillers has has always been something that uh, that you know I love reading and in 2017 it uh, uh, started off as see initially I wanted to write something nonfiction on on the impact of surveillance and privacy and all of those things and. Uh, the the origins of that were that I was uh, a fairly harsh critic of uh, how you know data privacy was being eroded through you know all of these uh, technology <clears throat> advances and we were not as a society as a nation fully aware of those things and I struggled with it for some for a little while and then on a lark I said let me try and write a small passage you know, those typical chase scenes that you read, that you see in the movies, that you read in thrillers and all. And I said, let me try and write something that would, you know, measure up to the best of those chase scenes. That, frankly, is how I started. 
And in fact, that's how the book also begins in the prologue. I think the third part section of the prologue where, you know, he ran like his life depended on it. That is actually in, I think if I remember, that's the, those were the very first words I wrote when I started writing this book. And then it, 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 uh, you know, grew into this thought that can I weave what I wanted to talk about privacy, surveillance, uh, and intrigue into a fiction thriller. And that's how it, 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 it began, essentially. So fiction has its way of drawing the reader right in. Uh, so I was uh, just in a slightly unrelated, uh, on a slightly unrelated note, uh, somebody was asking about storytellers of my genre, the Puranic fiction as to how I am different from, uh, how a storyteller is different from the Rishi and, uh, you know, what is the dharma of a storyteller. So I always felt that the reader of story, the readers of stories, they seek to connect and they don't want to learn, but they seek, uh, they seek to connect. And uh, our dharma as a storyteller is to give them that connect as well as the learning, if we can. That is i think that that's so nicely put because uh if i wanted to write something for my own uh, you know uh, consumption so to say i would uh, write and put it up as a blog post but i wanted to also write something that would engage with the reader which would mm-hmm. appeal to the reader which uh, uh which they would want to you know in in the truest sense of the word uh, and it's a cliche but it's like uh, they would want to keep turning the page to see what happens next, what happens next. So it was both that, that uh, I'm not writing a book for my own sake. Of course, I am at some level. I want to do that. I want to tell a story. I think I can tell a story, but uh, also I want it to be read. I want people to read and say that, wow, this is great. This is good. Mm. And that these were the two, uh, you know, balancing interests. So telling, writing the story was one thing and then making it uh, appealing, engaging, uh, you know, all of the things that, that people, that authors, uh, you know, keep giving advice on, you know, have, uh, mm. make it a page turner, keep it gripping, you know, avoid X, Y, Z, do ABC. Uh, I think I try to follow all of that. I mean, it shows, uh, not to exactly flatter you, but it shows. <laughs> the pages keep uh, turning themselves and... Uh, so no, I, 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 I'll, I'll, take all, I'll take all flattery I, I can get. I, I have no problems with that. No, yeah, you deserve it. Thank you. Okay, so uh, that brings me to my next question. So especially when you want to put this, uh, put together this content rich fiction, right? It's almost like writing three nonfiction books, the work that is required, the research that is required, uh, right? Uh, So, you know, you have to research into the spy tech, you have to research into the intelligence that uh, the way intelligence functions, the the mafia who is connected uh, to these uh, industries and then then there's media industry. So basically you would have covered at least uh, seven or seven to eight industries or organizations at, uh, you know, national and international level. So tell us more about the research that has gone into. Uh, So see, when it comes to technology, I had an edge over, you know, other areas, because that's what I've been working in. And I've been working in the area of data. And uh, I do like reading up a lot about, uh, you know, smartphones and technology. But when it came to other things, I had uh, very, very little to go on. And uh, I would say that uh, uh, 
Google was my you know biggest research assistant. It was my free unpaid research assistant. And sometimes I would actually get worried in the sense that if someone were to see my Google search history, it would reveal a portrait of a very disturbed, almost a psychopath. <laughs> to give you an example, uh, I, I think one of my Google queries was, which bone of the neck has to be broken for a person to die? It, it, it basically came down to such levels of disturbing, you know, searches in it or, uh, or, or, or what happens when you stab someone in the throat. So, but the good thing is that at least that gave me a sense of, uh, it gave me the feeling that what I was writing about was actually possible. I wasn't just, uh, you know, putting it, putting in a line that he, you know, uh, punched this guy and the guy fell down dead. Yes, that is the beginning and the end, but uh, wanted to bring in some more details or when talking about the National Security Agency of the US and what kind of data surveillance it does, what kind of, uh, what kind of a footprint it has, what kind of, uh, you know, technological resources it has. Again, there's a ton of material available on the internet and uh, we have to be in some ways thankful to Edward Snowden who leaked all of these documents and uh, Gren Greenwald who uh, published a book on, uh, uh, on, on those leaks, which give us a very, very, you know, inside look, a frightening level of detail into the kinds of surveillance the NSA does. So the internet really helped bring all of that together. But, uh, uh, and then in some ways it even became sort of a, uh, uh, you know, at some points it became an obsession with level of detail. For example, I, I, on a lark, I Googled and I found out how much of pressure you need to apply to the trigger of a Glock gun and how much uh, distance, how many, uh, you know, millimeters the trigger has to, has to travel before, you know, the, the bullet will explode and at what speed the bullet will explode. So hmm. that's what it was. <laughs> Basically, you need to uh, visualize it at a level before we can, uh, you know, put it on paper or the word doc. That's very true. The I I I, I wrote what I could visualize, or the things that I could not visualize. I had to, uh, you know, I still had. It was a very visual experience of writing. I mean, if I may put it uh, that way everything was visual. So in some cases, it becomes a very disturbing experience. In other cases, it was, uh, you know, an enjoyable part, but mm -hmm. the intent was to make it believable. Yeah. Well, that's one thing uh, that, you know, fiction does not enjoy the same uh, privilege as nonfiction does nonfiction can sound weird. It has total right to sound weird and unrealistic, but fiction has to sound realistic. So we have that constraint on us. Uh, that's uh, ironical. Yeah. So going into the those believable details, uh, Abhinav, there's one particular, I think a couple of particular uh, wonderfully written passages about uh, what you call as uh, Delhi Darbar. Right. I am sure the viewers uh, would love uh, you to read out those paragraphs and uh, tell us more about 
the Delhi Darbar is India's version of the deep state, if you may. I mean, if I were to put it in, in a sentence, in one line, the Delhi Darbar is India's version of the deep state. And it represents uh, a, a collection, an unofficial collection, agglomeration, if you may call it, of politicians, bureaucrats, industrialists, media personnel now in, in, in recent times, which wield the real power behind the government uh, and the facade that you see. And we often enough, uh, you know, inadvertently get to see glimpses of the power that the Delhi Darbar reveals. You know, some person will be arrested on charges of uh, whatever, grievous uh, crime, and overnight someone will make a representation to the Supreme Court and uh, a midnight hearing will be held and the person will be released on bail. And we, as a common man, we have absolutely no understanding how is it that uh, our judiciary can be so you know overworked and backlogged with 40 lakh or 4 crore cases or whatever that number is and yet certain people are able to get uh, you know a, a, a hearing on demand almost with the highest court of the country and it 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 leads to a lot of speculation it leads to conspiracy theories and, you know, the Delhi Darbar, frankly, for all I know, it may not even exist, exist. But I think uh, as a construct uh, around which to create a fiction, uh, you know, thriller, conspiracy theory, I think it's, uh, it's simply irresistible. So but what you say is right. We have had midnight uh, hearings for a terrorist and, uh, you know, someone has to struggle for days even without a charge sheet or, or an FIR someone has to struggle for days and years uh, you know so it's not exactly uh, we cannot exactly dismiss the presence of Delhi Darbar we they may call it by some other name correct so I think uh, we have some time so but I really want the viewers and your prospective readers to hear out those paragraphs so, okay, let me uh, give a brief, uh, uh, what do you call, a background into what uh, uh, I think you're referring to. And uh, if you go to, if you go to page 160, so essentially a little bit of background I think would be useful. So yes. the, the, the protagonist is uh, this uh, fellow, uh, Jaswant Singh Rathor, known as JSR, and he's the national security advisor to, uh, you know, uh, uh, to the prime minister in India and a very powerful person, obviously. And his antagonist is a media baron by the name of, uh, uh, you know, Neeraj. And uh, there is a scene towards uh, some, somewhere towards the middle of the book where the two meet and uh, there's a showdown of sorts and there's a discussion that is going on. And I'll start off uh, with so basically, Rathal gives Neeraj an ultimatum and he says, you have to basically, you know, stop your crooked ways and do X, Y, Z and so on. And that's your only hope of uh, avoiding jail time and for whatever reasons. And Neeraj has no intentions of doing it. And I say that his strategy was shock and awe. So he wanted to try that with, uh, with Rathal. So here's where he, uh, where he starts. So... Essentially, uh, Rathor ends with saying that uh, one at a time, Neeraj, one dirty, filthy, corrupt pig at a time. First, I will deal with you, then with the other swine, brokers, hustlers, and pimps who come in your wake. 
you had this last chance to bow out with your dignity and liberty intact, you will lose both now. And this sort of, you know, doesn't go down well with Neeraj, obviously, because being called so many bad names. And he then starts off. He says, Rathal Saab, Neeraj started. We all know Panchatantra stories. Since you have shared a story, allow me to share a page from the annals of history. This is Lutians. This is Delhi the capital of dynasties for a thousand years. Kings have sat on the throne and reigned, but rarely ruled. The real ruler behind the imperial throne has been the Delhi Darbar. Even today, while the prime minister reigns, it is the Delhi Darbar that rules this country. People like me, who you think of as the parasites, the brokers, the middlemen, are the Delhi Darbar. We were there when the Khiljis took over. It was someone like us who invited Babur to overthrow Ibrahim Lodi. We are the Sayyid brothers who ran Farooq Siyar's Mughal court. When he got out of line, it was us who had him deposed, thrown in prison, poisoned, and finally strangled to death. We were the ones that betrayed Bhagat Singh to the gallows and built Lutians as a reward brick by brick. Every such brick in Lutians today will tell you a tale, Rathor Saab, if you care to ask or listen. It is the tale of the invincibility and immortality of the Darbar. Dynasties have been born and dynasties have died here. Invaders have come and gone. Prime ministers have come and prime ministers have moved on. We, on the other hand, Sirji, have been the only constant in this land for a thousand years. As long as there exists a nation to rule, we will be here to decide who that ruler is. You touch me and it is your king, the prime minister, who will fall. Even he knows this which is why he will never allow you to act against us. I'm surprised that you, a supposedly wise man, doesn't know this. Your name, power, and existence will be ground to dust and will swirl around the shoes of men like us before being forgotten forever. Neeraj paused, shock and awe. Despite himself, JSR felt a cold chill run through him at Neeraj's words. And... The second part is on page 164, where Neeraj continues. He says, I fear you overestimate your abilities, but do not confuse me for a single person. I and others like me are the Raktpeech against whom no Durga, no Kali exists. There are no gods in Kalyograthar Sahib, only people like me, more powerful than any god you pray to. I am a man of patience, but do not test its limits. Neeraj concluded his message in a monotone, a neutral voice that carried not a trace of emotion. For all the bombast Neeraj had thrown in, JSR recognized the kernel of truth hidden under that bravado. Neeraj was but a face that changed shape at will, that stood for the brutal truth about longevity and survival and power in Delhi. The Delhi Darbar was an eternal whorehouse with pimps, whores, and customers. Rathor was no more than a constable in this whorehouse. You could watch even choose to participate in the bazaar, but he did not have permission to disrupt the market. Those who did were replaced. In that moment, JSR knew this was a war he could not win. He had to make a choice. This was not how he had anticipated the meeting would go on. That was uh, amazing. I uh, keep on quoting uh, this to some of the, you know, my writing mentees as to how... Uh, to visualize oh. dialogue. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, it's visually very rich as well as I could hear uh, the dialogues being exchanged uh, between the two characters, right? So that brings me to uh, the craft part of your 
writing right so basically the thriller uh, scene is filled with a lot of these run and chase chase and run uh, uh, storylines uh, that doesn't require a lot of you know the reader to uh, engage with his brains on it you know it's basically the protagonist is either he's being chased or he's on in a pursuit and uh, you know he's out to save the world the world is in danger whatever some bomb blast anything anything so but uh, and that pace is very important for the reader right because uh, most of the time they choose to read it over a journey or overnight or you know in between two things and so but uh, Uh, the challenge i see is in fitting this kind of uh, beautiful uh, content rich pieces so how do you manage to balance them ah uh, gosh i i see uh one is that i and okay so you asked me about the craft and i think one of the my biggest learnings during the writing of the book itself was to read out passages to myself after i had written them and that helped i can't uh, you know i can't even begin to tell you how much it helped because many times when i would read something it would feel awkward it would feel like it wasn't flowing well mm-hmm. uh the the dialogue also right so one is the narration the description pieces and the other one was the dialogue mm-hmm. the dialogue would also feel like if you know if you if you have to be able to imagine and visualize the characters speaking the dialogue so uh the the you know the the voices have to be different for the two characters or whoever is speaking okay. you have you you cannot apply you cannot paint everyone's dialogue with the same paint or the same stroke of brush and all mm-hmm. because everyone has a personality and their yep. dialogue has to reflect that mm-hmm. and if it didn't feel that way then i would go back and rewrite i would delete stuff uh, i would uh, to give you a sense uh, the final published version uh, edition is about 88000 words 88 to 89000 words mm-hmm. when i first finished the draft and i said i'm done there's nothing more to add to the book it was at 110000 words so i ended up deleting you know net deletion of of uh, what about 20000 words and i think uh, that was the best 20000 words i i you know deleted because i want to have my book as long as possible because every word i write i think is the best word i could have anyone could have written but you know as i said if i were writing a book for myself perhaps yes but the reader may not have such patience where if i have said something on page 10 i don't want to repeat it on page 50 and again on 100 and i don't want to fall in love with the sound or the or, or the look and feel of my own words yes sure so before i go to my next uh, question uh, uh, guys who are watching this uh, feel free to put in your uh, questions on the chat i'd uh, take them uh, we'll take them towards the end of our session i have a good couple of questions to go before i open up the floor uh so uh, your uh, main protagonist uh, abhinav that is devavrata jatashankar singh right shaitan uh, you know his uh, other name is shaitan so uh, like in predators and prey he uh, brings us uh, all a lot of lessons about spy tech uh, you know i really have to be uh, you know i am conscious whenever i uh, use my phone <laughs> 
so uh, so does uh, shaitan have any other truths to reveal in your future books you know some uh, some more additional education that he would like to give the readers and or in other words uh, any peek into your next book oh gosh uh, so in terms of of surveillance technology i think uh, pretty much most of what i had to say i put in predators and prey uh, again it's not as if uh, you know technology and surveillance tech, uh, you know means of surveillance are not going to be there they they're ever present yeah, but in terms of writing the second book i think uh, i don't i wouldn't want to use surveillance as uh, as you know the 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 bedrock uh, on which the novel is built uh having said that i think there are at least uh, three or four areas that i wanted to explore in in the book itself but i don't think i had enough space because uh, i really couldn't write a, a war and peace and expect any publisher on on the earth face of the earth to publish a thousand page book mm-hmm. so i had to leave a lot of things out uh to give you a sense of some of those things one is you know deva's uh, uh as yet unexacted revenge against rana yeah that is one thing that i definitely want to explore the second one is and after writing the book uh, i was uh, i think my daughter told me that uh, both jsr and neeraj's characters are very strong characters and it got mm-hmm. me thinking that there might be you know it just why might be interesting to explore their parallel paths as they rose to you know their respective positions of eminence and power mm-hmm. the third one itself is there are a couple of loose ends in in the book that i left loose deliberately so i want to explore those also and i mention in one place uh this encounter uh, you know this particularly nasty encounter between praveen and riya and yeah. that got me thinking that there is something there also to be explored because i have mentioned i have hinted at it but i have not uh, re- talked anything more about it so all of these things are are going through my mind as far as this immediate second book goes uh i want it to be a, a sort of a continuation from where the first book ends up mm. and then taking it into a couple of different subplots and the reason i'm not, i'm i'm not hiding any details but the sad reality is that i am about i think only 30 40% of the of the you know of my way through and uh, uh i'm a distracted writer i should have been long done with my book the second uh, manuscript by now <laughs> that uh, you know kind of splits me into two as a writer i can so sympathize <laughs> with the you know the struggle of the progress of the manuscript but as a reader i'm just selfish Um, oh i know i know i i'm selfish too because i want to write the third and the fourth and the fifth one and uh, i'm hoping and assuming that you know there'll be publishers out there who will uh, you know want to publish this so i i want to get the second book done and then move to the third but uh, i wish i had a magic pill or an injection to you know like a covid vaccine to vaccinate me against uh, distractions or some wormhole into narnia or something you know that or that too exactly relative time <laughs> exactly okay so that uh, comes to uh, you mentioned about publishing uh, now how uh, you know what was your exp- uh, you know experience with the publishing world because 
first book uh, it is always a struggle uh, second book we get used to the struggle i mean <laughs> so I, what was your uh, experience what was your journey it was a journey of awakening of rude shocks of uh, of of my ego you know uh, getting a little flattened and then a lot flattened uh, so i when i started the book or somewhere i think uh, i was under the illusion impression that all i had to do was write a book and publishers would be lining up uh, uh, you know at my door to say you know i've been aware you gosh uh, you know you are your 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 dan brown and jeffrey archer and frederick forsyth combined you are it so that was where i began from and by the time i had finished the book and a few months had passed and and all uh, i had the i could lay claim to having been rejected by every single tier 1 publisher in india wow uh in fact uh, despite in a couple of instances there were there are some very very good prominent authors who made personal recommendations and uh, even that was not enough to convince the the publishers that my book deserved uh, uh, you know to be published so that was a rude awakening and then uh, i got or you know i was introduced to treeshade a uh, treeshade books uh, which has been started by vineet bachpai you know who wrote uh, the harappa trilogy and uh, once they agreed to publish my book the experience was uh, uh, simply fabulous in in you know that's i think that's the only word i can use to describe it and obviously being my first book i learned a lot of things about what goes from the time you you submit your word document to a publisher to the time you actually see you know the galley uh, or i forget the name that is used to describe those uh, uh, first prints and at every step of the way it was just an amazing experience with treeshade you know they assigned an amazing editor uh, to work on my manuscript mm-hmm. uh, the feedback came back in time very good feedback there was no uh, you know i was not asked to change anything in my book i've heard stories about how you know in, in at some publishers uh, authors are asked to change something to make them more ideologically compatible with the, you know with with whatever none of that happened and uh, the publication from the time i submitted the manuscript to the time it appeared on amazon was at, i think about i don't know about 6 months or so which i'm told is an amazingly short period of time wow that's uh, that's an eye opener uh, so i'm not new to this experience because i was uh, you know when i was done uh, with my first book i already had such a bad experience with a uh, certain literary agent that i just you know i was not ready to go through this and chose the self publishing route and uh, you know that was a different journey altogether so there are questions uh, coming up from the viewers so before i uh, just one more uh, question uh, before we open the floor uh, for questions so uh, you are the chief curator of indic book club and uh, i'm sure there are a lot of uh, aspiring uh, writers and authors uh, who are watching this and who would catch the recording later so uh, maybe you know you can you could tell us your role as the curator and how the platform built uh, itself and grew to whatever it is today uh, because indic academy has been a launchpad to many writers starting you know from its inflection point it has just uh, you know it's grown into a grove of for very promising writers so how, how what was uh, what has been your role and uh, your experience in 
So I was very, you know, I think, fortunate to get involved with Indic Academy and then with Indic Book Club from 2015 onwards. And uh, uh, in a nutshell, Indic Book Club is a platform, right? It's a platform for uh, providing a, a, a platform for discussions around books to bring readers and authors and writers together on a, uh, you know, on a platform and to also provide a a venue for upcoming and Indic authors to promote their their work, to get the word out uh, and so on. Because one of the, uh, one of the key takeaways that I had uh, as uh, a first time author was that uh, no matter how difficult uh, writing a book itself may be, for a first time author, for an unknown author and someone who's not writing about uh, uh, you know, controversial topics that we come across. Uh, mm. It is very difficult to promote your book and to get the word out. And with, the, you know, literally tens of thousands of books being published in India every year, yours is just, uh, you know, my book is just one in 10,000 books that are, that are going to be published in a year. And we as authors, I think, often forget that. And we assume that uh, people will, will automatically discover our books and then spread the word. But the reality is that people have a finite attention span. People, which is why it is important to amplify, you know, voices, amplify news and, and information about the good upcoming books and authors. And I think Indic Book Club tries to do that. We are still a small community. Uh, our, 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 you know, our Facebook group uh, started, uh, you and I started that just, uh, you know, uh, about three months back. But we have got more than 2,000 uh, people as part of the group. They're taking part in discussions. They're sharing things about their books. And we are finding out to so many authors who are, who are finding the Indic Book Club platform as a way to get the word about, uh, out about their books. So all I do is, uh, is, is, you know, just let people know that there is this platform available. And I, uh, yeah. So Abhinav is uh, just being very, very humble and economic with, uh, you know, the real role he plays, uh, guys. So he's, uh, he basically pushes everything from idea to uh, execution, uh, keeps chasing people to get uh, the flyers done, to get it shared on social media, to spread the word. Uh, that uh, arranges the giveaways that grows our Facebook group. So uh, do please check out uh, the, the Indic uh, Book Club uh, Facebook group. Uh, we have really lively uh, discussions there. Uh, hoping to see a lot of you join the Facebook group. And we have a lot of program for upcoming programs for upcoming writers, calls for anthologies, papers, and whatnot. So please uh, follow us everywhere, Indica Academy, hashtag uh, Indica uh, on Twitter and Indica Academy on and Indic Book Club on Facebook. Uh, so thank you. I had to steal that uh, platform, uh, <laughs> Abhinav, to announce about uh, various activities. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, now uh, I'm going to the audience questions. So Ajay Sudami. Uh, he uh, has a question uh, which uh, has pretty much, uh, you know, I was having since uh, the session began. How safe is our Aadhaar data? Or how difficult is it to hack into Aadhaar database? My Aadhaar card is totally outdated, uh, so should I update it or not? Gosh, uh, I can get into trouble by, by being blunt, so I will not be blunt. 
there is no data, there is no database that cannot be hacked. That's the bottom line, firstly. Uh, everything and anything has been hacked. Uh, if you look at uh, private companies, some of the biggest companies in the world, like Sony, mm. they had their entire server hacked. If you look at uh, uh, multinationals, Fortune 500 companies, their servers and databases have been hacked. If you look at uh, the U.S. government, uh, you know, Snowden went uh, leaked uh, millions and millions of documents. Yep. That was a hack in a, in a, in a manner of speaking. Mm. Just uh, two weeks back, uh, one of the largest online grocery platforms in India, uh, a unicorn startup, its database of customer names and email addresses and whatnot was hacked and put up on the dark web for sale. So if someone comes and says this database is secure, it cannot be hacked, I'm sorry, they are technologically illiterate. They don't have the faintest clue what they're talking about. So if someone says that our database is secured behind six feet thick walls of concrete, the best thing that you could request the government to do is to fire that person. Wow, that uh, opens up, uh, you know, uh, maybe we just have to live with the vulnerabilities uh, out there. Uh, you know, we, no... we have to. So take, take another, another instance, for example, I don't name any company in my, in my book because every company is doing that, but uh, Almost every app that you have on your phone, your your phones, uh, your smartphones, uh, uh, you know, operating system manufacturer, they all have the ability to activate your microphone, your camera at any point in time. There have been vulnerabilities disclosed and companies have come back and said, oops, it was a software bug. We were recording your conversations, but we didn't do it by, you know, it's that classic tone that they, that these companies, and I'm talking about some of the largest companies in the world, they'll say, essentially, once they're caught doing stuff that they shouldn't have been, they'll say, galti se mistake ho gaya. And that's the end of the story. Mm. And so everything that I, almost everything that I talk about in my book has actually happened. Almost everything I talk about, there are instances that have happened. Your location being tracked, yes. Uh, if you switch off your phone, you can still be tracked. If uh, if if uh, you upload anything, if you take a photo, if you record a video, that video and photograph is uploaded to some cloud server by your app, and that server is is vulnerable. Or in some cases, as we found out through the NSA uh, leaks by Snowden, any email communication, videos, and all of that, they one part goes to the company, the other part goes to the NSA. So this is not fiction. This is not hype. This is not exaggeration. This is not a distortion. This is actually happening. And it's been happening for at least eight or 10 years or longer. Wow. So that's chilling uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, so you know, it's like, uh, so by adapting technology, we have totally given, uh, given the power of, over us to these two you know, giants, and they can do whatever they want with. Oh, absolutely. And we, we all know uh, so many scandals keep surfacing. So let no one tell you that your data is safe and secure. That is only a relative world. So if somebody wants to target you, then uh, we just need to turn into Devavrata. 
unfortunately the only way to keep yeah uh, and that's a whole uh, other topic but there is no way to to hide essentially you know your uh, from from you know surveillance I mean, that will stay with me for a while. Uh, so, but let me move on to next question from Professor Ramesh Rao. Uh, thank you for following this, sir. Uh, so he says, I'm not much of a blood, gore, sex fan in thrillers, more of a smiley, lay carry fan. Uh, could you tell us more about the approach to writing these thrillers that can appeal to the head more than the heart and guts? So the good thing is that uh, even though I uh, there there is a fair amount of killing in my book, I think it probably occupies uh, a total of five pages, uh, and the gore and the other sex part I think is another two or three pages out of three hundred and sixty. So I'm very happy I kept that to a minimum. My kids would have preferred I didn't have any of that, especially bones being broken and necks being snapped. But uh, hey, I am a thriller writer. I love thrillers. I cannot write a book which doesn't have these elements in it. but having said that uh, you know you a book has to be more than just these elements right uh, you cannot have a murder happening every two pages you cannot have uh, you know huh. gal uh, quarts and bottles and bottles of blood uh, you know uh, oozing out every fifth page it gets uh, very very tiring after a point right so my goal was what is the story and the story has to start from some place there you know the classic elements of a story right you have to have a start you have to have some inciting incident you have to have some mm. obstacles placed in the path you have to really really stack up the odds against the protagonist and then figure out a way to make the protagonist overcome those obstacles in a way that is at least believable to the reader right the reader should not think that uh, uh you know superman could have uh, am, am i talking am i reading about a human am i or am i reading about superman so it has to have an element of believability to it so the way to do that is okay can this really happen and then can i add 10 20 30% to it to you know because i'm writing fiction sure so that's uh, mixing art with reality basically craft is uh... so thank you i mean that brings me to you know if i can share with the you know aspiring authors out there uh, there's this uh, nick uh, this is author called uh, nick stephenson who broke down this elements of craft and uh, he explains uh, each of the genres how it is re- relevant to every genre irrespective of you know whether it's a romance or a thriller or a fantasy out of the world fantasy so he says he starts with something like a introduction of the character and a game changer that's your inciting event basically which throws him out of the you know your a life like you and i are having and uh, then there is a reactive phase where uh, he keeps fighting i mean you know he doesn't know where there are they are coming from uh, you know all the dangers and uh, whatever is happening but he is in this reactive phase which makes him grow from a normal person to a hero and after that the antagonist springs into action uh, showing that he is the boss so that is one the second game changer and after which the hero goes into the you know the protagonist he goes and uh, he or she goes into this proactive uh, learning and proactive uh, mode after which we set the final conflict and uh, i guess uh, your story just followed that uh, you know that arc uh, whether you knew it or not uh, it's 
And to be frank, I didn't. Uh, the the weird or the funny thing is uh, that I read up a lot of things about writing after I was more than halfway or almost towards end of my book, which is kind of the wrong way of going about writing a book. Which also, in hindsight, tells me I had to delete a lot of words and all. But I think uh, in the end, any good thriller fiction thriller will follow the template that you mentioned that it's got to have an arc it's got to have these uh, pivotal moments uh, and i think that's what i ended up doing uh so i'll read out in you know in the in the q and a there there are a couple of questions that have come uh oh there's another q and a okay okay yep so one is by ram and he asks how much time did you spend in research writing and editing uh it's a very good question so if you just look at the writing part of it right uh you know you can say that if i wrote 110000 words uh, in the first uh, manuscript and my average writing speed would have been anywhere between 500 to 1000 words an hour yeah. that uh, tells you how many hours i would have written about 200 hours or so uh, in in all if i'm if i've got the math right but there was i would say probably about five times that much time that was spent in editing because every single once the book was there came the editing part and why by editing i mean not just cutting out the superfluous stuff but also um, bringing life to the dialogues because when you when i was writing my first uh, you know the draft the dialogues were there yes i was putting some conscious forethought into the dialogue but it was also you know okay here's what is happening and then you move on it's yeah. when i got back to editing that uh, it felt that the dialogue had to come to life some of the even some certain things such as you know am i using the same adjectives again and again can i find can i use a thesaurus can i put it to good use and all yeah. and finally the research was uh, was was it wasn't done at the beginning and then i wrote the book i did some research at the beginning and then as i kept writing when i would come up on 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 a topic that i thought i needed some more information i didn't have it i would go and do the research so i would probably say i spent if i spent x amount of time on writing i spent about the 3x on editing and about uh, you know 3x on research rough rule of thumb that uh, that gives me a lot of assurance abhinav uh, because right now i'm handling a historical project about a topic which was not very uh, you know which i was not very comfortable with and uh, i'm afraid uh, 3x and 3x is the time uh, that's working out for me to Uh, so ram has another question i guess uh, so he asks uh, you wrote on a topic familiar to you what are your suggestions thoughts on research for a topic that is not that one is not familiar with uh good question so see again the uh there's going to be a core of your story that is pretty much uh, you can say that, that will have only a, a somewhat marginal bearing on the technology or the topic in in the sense there is a protagonist he gets into trouble uh, the antagonist comes in and something happens and he comes out of it right the good thing is that again you have the internet for research 
as opposed to say 20 years ago, you were pretty much on your own unless until you could find a librarian, you could find another author, you could find a professor who could talk about those things, or you could uh, lay your hand, hands on books on, on similar topics. Today, you have the internet, and I can assure you, there is not a topic that you want to write on that has not been described or researched already. So, which is where if you're writing on a topic that is not familiar to you, I would say your research portion component will probably go from, you know, 3x to 5x or more and make use of the internet, the search, right? Go to Google, go to Bing or whatever your search engine is and just type in your queries. Don't worry about getting the right keywords. Just, just type in the query, uh, you know, for example, a thriller around art theft. What are some of the, th the best thrillers on art theft? And you'll get a ton of hits and you can, that can become your starting point. Nice. So the next question, again, from uh, Professor Ramesh Rao. Uh, so for both of you, Sai and Abhinav, uh, you are successful and popular authors and I'm thrilled. Uh, thank you, Ramesh, sir. Uh, have you begun to get an idea about the people and institutions that have been in control or charge of uh, the Indian literary scene. Also, have you thought of working with international publishers for your next novels? Should I defer that question to you, Sai, since you've uh, you know published and uh, written a lot more novels than I have. I've written one and I'm struggling with my second one. No, I, I think uh, you'll uh, do wonderfully well uh, because uh, the core uh, thing, what is needed for a successful book is a good story, good craft and a passionate author behind and Predators uh, and Prey has all the three. Uh, so it's a matter of time, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, but uh, yes, uh, Ramesh, sir, from my uh, experience, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I just feel this control slash charge of, uh, you know, any uh, industry, you know, just forget uh, literary scene. I don't think it's a permanent uh, thing. So it's always ever the greatest uh, consolation is that everything is temporary and uh, we just have to keep on uh, fighting and uh, international publishers, uh, I would say, uh, yes, there are a lot of international publishers who have entered Indian market that shows the strength of Indian market as such. And a lot of bestsellers within Amazon.in have been those who, you know, which have been written by foreign authors. So I think our uh, target should be to, you know, first uh, pocket the readers the ready, readily available readers who are comfortable with our uh, you know, socio-cultural elements of India. And uh, that's where Indica Academy is doing a wonderful uh, job of grooming and uh, you know, nurturing these writers who, uh, you know, who are very passionate. And uh, do please uh, watch out for uh, our series of anthologies that is coming out. Uh, the first uh, one is Unsung Valor. Uh, it's a collection of 10 stories uh, from the Kurukshetra Battle of Mahabharata uh, called Unsung Valor. Uh, it's been published by Bloomsbury. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, I'm waiting for my uh, copy of it. Uh, so please do check out. And there are three three more wonderful anthologies coming uh, coming out. Uh, so do please uh, be a part of uh, follow Indic Academy, follow Indic Book Club everywhere. We, you know, we have... Uh, uh, you know, I am confident we are the game changer that was needed. Thank you, Sai. I think, 
correct i would i would agree with everything you said i would add two more things to it as readers right as readers uh, we must understand that the successful books and authors are not uh, manufactured out of thin air it is when people like us read and talk and and share and tell other people about good books from uh, you know unknown authors does does you know an author get uh, a chance to find a publisher for the second third and fourth books uh, if everyone thinks this is a great book i'm sure it'll do well and if we stop at that then you know then 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 we don't change anything yeah. uh from the point of view of a writer i'd uh, say one thing is uh when writing a book when publishing it or whatever right my my learning and I, and you know uh, as this as as it goes that everyone's mileage may vary but my own learning was that uh, keep your ego at the door and then come into the room to write uh because many a time i've seen authors they they fail at basic things such as grammar and mm-hmm. as a reader there's nothing more off putting than finding or reading a book with poor grammar so it starts with the basics you wouldn't uh, you know i i i wouldn't uh, grab a person off the street who said he was passionate about building buildings and give him the responsibility of designing and constructing my house so what makes us think that uh, someone who's uh, passionate about writing but doesn't want to spend the time in learning the craft of writing mm-hmm. is going to be a successful author or a good author you know successful is different there are many successful authors who couldn't write if their lives depended on it but uh, a good author and we all want to be good i i hope good and then successful rather than the other way around agree with every word uh, there abhinav so our uh, last question uh, thankfully we have three more minutes uh, to uh, answer anuradha's question of what are the challenges in writing a sequel and uh, those uh, who have more questions uh, do please follow abhinav uh, on twitter and uh, do be a part of the facebook group uh, indic book club uh, we discuss a lot of writing related topics as well as indic uh, civilizational topics and i'm sure you'd uh, find it interesting uh, so abhinav about the challenges in writing a sequel so thank you anuradha what are the challenges in writing a sequel i think uh, the okay i'll not generalize i'll talk about the challenges that i'm facing when writing a sequel uh in no particular order the first one is that the first book got written on the back of passion there was this fire to write a book and prove a point the second book will get done only when i put in some process behind the passion the other point is that uh, a sequel has to have some kind of logical continuity with the first one it should not uh, you know in a manner of speaking if the first book is set in london the second one can't begin in tokyo there has to be a connection between the two that uh, logically leads the person to follow what is happening the characters have to more or less be the same uh, and changes have to be gradual is is what my understanding is and yes new characters can be introduced new situations can be introduced but i think continuity is uh, is one of the key uh, uh, you know key ingredients of writing a sequel uh, there's one other q and a from aparna who asks sir what are your target audience and which category did you keep in mind while writing the book by so this is a fiction thriller 
it combines things such as uh, uh, you know uh, conspiracies and technology and surveillance and its protagonist is uh, is an armed uh, forces officer uh, so that was my target audience and age group i think anyone who's uh, 14 15 16 years of age and is reading uh, these thrillers whether it is uh, you know a dan brown lee child daniel silva um, david baldacci or uh, you know whoever they can should be able to identify and read this book and uh, the category uh, you know so target audience was this a demographic and the category was uh, you know wanted to, it's it's a thriller it's a it's a techno thriller I would say. Okay, so I think we'll just take the last question, and uh, after this, we'll have to close. There is a hard stop. Uh, how to manage time jumps and flashbacks? I'm a new writer, and get stuck with plot points where I have to make a time jump. Uh, so, so Salish, my answer would be type yes. star, 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 and jump the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think one has to, uh, the advice I've uh, uh, read is that one has to, one should be careful and, and avoid time jumps and flashbacks because they can be jarring to a reader. And if you have to introduce them, make them very explicit so that uh, the reader doesn't feel after reading half a page or a page, wait, 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 where is this happening? So, but as a rule, I think a lot of people have said uh, avoid time jumps and, and flashbacks. So, if you have to just maybe very explicit about it uh, so that the reader is left in no doubt as to, you know, you're talking of today and the next page is a, is a flashback, then it's a year back, two years back, a month back, just make it very obvious. So I think that's uh, about it. Uh, thank you, Abhinav. Uh, got to learn a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot from this conversation. I hope the reader, the viewers and readers uh, found it as uh, lively and as uh, enlightening as I found it. Uh, uh, keep uh, watching the space. We have much, uh, many more uh, interesting author Q&A sessions. Uh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Abhinav. Thank you, Sai. A wonderful discussion, and thank you for uh, you know for uh, for hosting this and asking all these questions. And uh, I hope uh, people like it. And uh, we'll see you and continue the discussion on Facebook. At, on our Facebook also group. order your copy of this book and uh, you know leave a review uh, on Amazon everywhere. Yes, else. very important. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, uh, keep following us. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Bye.